0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Happy 85th birthday today to the legendary late-night talk show host, Dick Cavett, who interviewed every famous person you can imagine during his decades on television. He joined me in 2015 to discuss his must-read book, Brief Encounters, a collection of his most memorable celebrity anecdotes. Mr. Cabot, thanks so much for joining me. Uh, just start with it. How did you get the idea to do it? I mean, did you think this be a good, you know, gift for the holidays, or how, how did the idea come about to do the book?
1: Apparently, it is a good gift for the holidays. Every place I go, somebody told me they've gotten two copies of it, <laughs> uh, having already ripped open their Christmas presents. <laughs> <laughs> but um, you know, and, and in a way, the book is the kind of book I'm always looking for to read because. As you get older, it's harder to start a 700-page novel on page one and start climbing up Mount Everest. Right. And I tend to open a book anywhere and see if it interests me. But this is the kind of book you can put on the bedside table, and each piece is short enough that you get a little dose of reading and go to sleep.
0: (laughs) You say the bedside, or Mel Brooks says the bathroom. He says it's the best bathroom reading ever
1: written. Yes, he took it to a higher level. (laughs) <laughs> and said, uh, you know, that it was perfect bathroom reading because each of the pieces was just the right length. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
0: speaking of uh, Mel Brooks, I love the anecdote that you had in there of when Mel Brooks would put the key in the door at night and say, oh, good, the the party's about to begin. The book's filled with a bunch of little anecdotes like that. Do you, do you have a personal favorite of stories that are in there or, or a chapter?
1: I, I don't have a single favorite, but I, I like when one causes people to say, the thing I liked about your piece about Jonathan Winter or Stan Laurel or uh, or a politician or Muhammad Ali or whatever, is the little things you're able to put in like that that we would not otherwise hear or know about. And uh, actually my wife Martha told that to Mel, but when the, I hear the key in the lock, I know, the, oh good, the party's starting. And he was quite moved. He had never heard it before. That Yeah, uh,
0: there's a ton of them in there um, that, are, that are like that. Um, Jimmy Fallon writes the forward in this thing. Um, what are your thoughts on him as as the current host, or, or in general the, the entire late-night scene today compared to back when you were doing You know, Kimmel, Jon Stewart, Stephen Colbert, the whole the whole shebang.
1: Well, the problem I have with that subject is that I know all of them. <laughs> so that should there be one I don't like, it would be difficult to talk. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what what do some of them do well, then?
1: Well, I I, I think um, starting for a moment with Fallon, the fact that I've watched him for years, and that we we met one night in the dark around Gramercy Park in New York late at night. We were both coming from different things, and we sort of hit it off and talked for about an hour and a half and have been friends ever since, and then, as he tells in the thing, he was... <laughs> Moved when I called him on his first day doing a talk show, the day that he went on the air. And, and, uh, and I've had fun being on with him. And I, it's just remarkable, though, to me that he was able to find in his hectic life of getting out of a talk show, into The Tonight Show, to write such a, a funny, and to me, moving forward to this book. It was just great. Did
0: you want to mention any of the well, other?
1: people tell me, speaking about the difference... Um, They miss a show that has people on for a longer time. Right. I found it easier to do 90 minutes than I would now to do seven minutes with a guest. I admire uh, both Stuart and Colbert for their ability to get in in a very short segment, both wit and intelligence, and in Colbert's case, the genius ability to think as two people at the same time before speaking.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: I mean, his character and himself.
0: Yeah, exactly. And when you did it, you had, like you said, you had much longer um, interviews. Um, how much preparation would go into those? How much of it is prepared versus kind of winging it based on, you know, being a good listener to what they're yeah, saying? Well,
1: that varied, all, that varied all over the place because there are some people, as you said, don't even bother giving me any notes. Uh, we're going to be fine together. I know them or I don't know them, but I know we'll be good together or her. Uh, um, and then Miss Hepburn startled me by saying, let's just do it now when it was supposed to be two days later. And that turned out to two of the best 90-minute shows I ever had without preparation. So uh, there's no rule. At the beginning, I stuck so rigidly to my notes that I didn't even hear what the guest had just said. Right, um, and And it would be as if they said, I just... And then, Dick, we opened this old trunk, and you'll never guess what was inside. And I wasn't listening and would say, do you have any hobbies? <laughs> it wasn't what? that bad, but almost.
0: I know. Why aren't you asking about the trunk? <laughs>
1: yeah, what's wrong with you?
0: <laughs> do you have, uh, I mean, you mentioned a couple. Do you have any other, um, you know, really, really memorable ones over there? I mean, I'm sure people have asked you to name a favorite, but that's probably really tough. But do you have any that just come to mind as some of I woman? can't
1: name a vast category you know There's so many different types of things that uh, but if I were pinned to the floor I would have to say Groucho meant the most to me in the most number of ways right. having been an adoring fan and somehow traveling an arc to which I became a family friend of his <laughs> as well as on the air seven or eight times and uh, going to dinner with Groucho and here's a quickie right. Groucho wants out the dinner party, sneaking out. A snotty hostess, she comes over and says, Leaving so soon, Mr. Marks. Groucho said, I had a wonderful evening, but this wasn't it. <laughs>
0: That's perfect. You...
1: It is perfect.
0: Do you have a favorite... That's the word. Do you have a favorite... Um... Marx Brothers flick, Duck Soup, uh, Night at the Opera, any of them, any personal favorite?
1: I I keep thinking that Duck Soup probably is superior to Night at the Opera in ways I can't quite describe. I agree, yeah. I always find it a shame when young people, although many of them, learn to love the Marx Brothers on television, but to not have the experience, I did a couple years ago again, of being in a movie theater, when a Marx Brothers movie plays, and the roaring laughter of the audience around you you suddenly it's as if the movie is being performed better than it was when you saw it on television
0: <laughs> yeah exactly. well you get that community experience of everyone laughing
1: exactly I mean, that you're just surrounded and buoyed up by laughter
0: man they are they are just anarchist political commentary i mean it's uh, it, it's just hilarious
1: stuff. Yeah, um great stuff physical comedy and this year this will shock you this year I've had to endure two questions. Who were the Marx Brothers Ooh. and who was Johnny Carson?
0: Ooh, wh- who asked these uh, <laughs> questions and what do you respond?
1: Uh, members of the ignorant young people of today who have no interest <laughs> in anything or knowledge of anything that took place before their birth.
0: <laughs> before before the
1: internet started, yeah. I'm not saying there aren't exceptions. <laughs> sure. Yeah.
0: Well, I like to think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> there better you, be. Do you know what? Um, do you remember what you told these these people to ask that? Or do you just shake your head and do you just ignore the question? Or do you try to explain it? I
1: think it, I think I just turned and got on a bus that I didn't even want to be on.
0: <laughs> it's funny you mentioned young people. Some other younger people in our radio station, when I mentioned I was interviewing you, they they said, "Oh, the guy in Forrest Gump that interviewed John." Lennon, it's funny how... Oh, you know,
1: my God, I love it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, what's wrong with me and Beetlejuice?
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, maybe they missed that one. What was your reaction when you, when you saw that Gump scene? I just interviewed Tom Hanks at the Kennedy Center, her, so that, that scene has been on the brain of you and Lennon and, and, and Yeah, uh,
1: I, I, I shot it, of course, with Tom alone. Right. And then John was put in electronically. And there have been people who are so dumb their ears rub, as a friend of mine used to say as a kid, (laughs) who asked me how old I was when I shot that scene with John on my show, (laughs) which means they couldn't have been even listening to the scene. (laughs) Right, yeah,
0: exactly, exactly.
1: They had a double there in case uh, Yoko sued, (laughs) and to shoot the scene a different way. And the guy looked so much like John, that when he walked around the studio a lot, people just fell over practically and turned pale and started to faint. (laughs) I don't know what's become of him now, but he he could pose as a ghost at parties and get a lot of money.
0: Speaking of uh, John Lennon, recount your story real quick on him and Yoko Ono in bed at the St. Regis.
1: Oh, I was told to go over to the hotel, uh, and it was how I met them and see if they would approve me for being on the show. And John was so instantly friendly, and she too, in her way, um, that uh, I actually made him laugh quickly. He said, you know, you've got the only halfway intelligent show on television. And I said, why would you want to be on a halfway intelligent show? (laughs) And he thought that was funny, and we were immediately friends. Then we fade to black, and I'm sitting with George Harrison years later. And when I inform him that Yoko sat in that chair two weeks earlier, he immediately leapt out of it and started brushing himself off. <laughs> but he has a good sense of humor.
0: Exactly. Well, that's good. Um, and you mentioned um, you mentioned Johnny Carson a few minutes ago. Um, what made him such a good interview? I mean, you you two were two of the best that ever did it. And, you know, as a peer, what what, what made him so special?
1: I don't know. He was born gifted. You never know what makes somebody good. It's... was pretty unpleasant
0: yeah and what, what do you think it was for you if you could you know if you could drop any sort of humility for a second step outside your own body and analyze yourself as an interviewer what do you think it was that made you
1: such a good interviewer? I have no idea but I know what I keep getting told and began to realize I was hearing over and over was a guest saying after maybe a 90-minute show or other uh, how the hell you got me to talk about that I <laughs> don't know I can't believe I did And I said, well, why did you? And they would say in various ways, well, you made me so comfortable. I I practically forgot we were on television, (laughs) 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 which can be dangerous.
0: All right. Well, hey, Mr. Cavett, thanks so much. You want to just do a final sell on the book?
1: Uh, It's called Brief Encounters, and you're going to love every second of it.
0: All right, Mr. Cavett, it's an honor, a pleasure. (laughs) Uh, I've admired you for a long time, so thank you very much for joining us on WTOP.
1: Okay, Thank you.